Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Bud, I have a bunch of different things to jump into tonight. Uh, Florida State Baseball Program has a uh, new head coach, if not a surprising one. Uh, the article out there about uh, Florida State football and its previous coach that seems to have garnered a lot of traction, even national traction at that, uh, and have a lot of listener questions that we will try to get into as always want to thank our friends new iberia louisiana louisiana hot sauce three simple ingredients one fantastic product uh i know this is not breaking news per se but uh happy to announce that we have uh come to an agreement to work with louisiana for yet another year it sounds like so a fantastic partner for us been with us since uh first year of the nolcast and people that uh, we couldn't be more happier to continue to work with uh that is great news and i i'm actually just learning about this Right now, live on the show, so my, my reaction <laughs> is genuine. And if you were doing that to see if I was paying attention to your intro, because it, it, it's you know it's awesome and automatic at this at this point, you use it to cue me up. I was paying attention. That's that's good news, man. Yeah, never, never doubted it. So good people, good partner for us, and thank you to you, the listener, for the support that you've given them. It's uh, it's been a good good relationship for everybody. I enjoyed a little uh, delicious Louisiana hot sauce uh, today. In fact, I made some collard greens at the house and it's important to eat some vegetables. You know, I was, uh, been lifting a lot lately and you know, been pretty, pretty sore. I'm like, man, I, I got to stop eating all this meat and not be a carnivore and have a couple of veggies. So yeah, Louisiana helps make collard greens really good. They also have those Louisiana peppers, by the way, uh, the, instead of the red sauce, if you want the clear pepper sauce, they also make that in certain grocery stores. You can find that throughout the Southeast. All right, so uh, coming as no surprise to anyone uh, per se, but still a significant development in the baseball program. As you haven't had one of these in, what, 44 years, 42 years? Uh, um, do have a Mike Martin still in charge, but this is Mike Martin Jr. And a, a guy, uh, look, we're not going to break down every piece of the press conference or what he said, um, but it, it was a guy at least that I got the impression was uh, – was eager to display what he would be doing differently, and the fact that he wouldn't necessarily be uh, uh, any any type of version of a, a facsimile of his father. Uh, Ingram, I believe that word is facsimile. Facsimile, just as I was trying to get out there. Yes, <laughs> I got you, bro. All right, so <laughs> uh, Matthew could either leave that in or or take it out, uh, depending. <laughs> it, it's it's kind of funny. So, Meat had kind of a tough task here because he had to figure out a way uh, in which he could say, hey, this is what I want to do differently uh, without throwing his dad under the bus, proverbially, of course. And I, I think he did a fairly good job of that, right? Um, he emphasized that his familiarity with the program is going to be a major asset. We all agreed with that. I I thought that the hire was a good hire, by the way. Um, I, I think you thought it made a lot of sense as well, especially for the the money they have to spend right now and, and look why not see how, how it works out it, it, it's not it's not football right like, like you can if you if you did have a down year or two it's not going to tank your program for forever but two of the things that stood out to me and I, I guess we'll just take these one by one uh he said he wants all three of his coaches out on the road recruiting recruiting early identifying talent early uh, and that, that would be a big change that's probably about as close as he actually got to expressing how he didn't like something that was done under the previous administration. But there was no secret that Martin was not out there, that his dad was not out there on the road recruiting like a normal head coach would. Uh, and, and it is important to have all three of those coaches uh, really going and recruiting hard and, and recruiting early. And 
And if you only have three guys who can go on the road for you, not having one, or in some cases, in some years, it seems like not having two of those guys out there is a really big deal. So I think this is something that is obvious that any coach coming in, I think, would have done. So it's hard to give me too much credit for that because it's kind of like a duh thing, right? <laughs> like if they hired me tomorrow, I'd be out on the road recruiting and I guarantee you my assistants would as well. It's kind of part of the college job. But it, it is an important change. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, even even somebody like myself, who by no means is an expert on the Florida State baseball program, one is secret that uh, Mike Martin won out there on the trail, Mike Martin Sr., that is, and, uh, and and as you kind of referenced there, there were there were years where I don't know that it's pure hyperbole to say almost the entirety of the responsibility of recruiting fell on, on Martin Jr. So uh, I do think that there's a, you know, that's one area that you can sit there and talk about the fact that there's a, a massive potential jump that could be made. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how this program responds with a little bit of energy, a little bit of, uh, I don't know, new blood is the uh, proper expression, but certainly a, uh, a freshness that it hadn't had in a long time. And great to see what what Martin Jr. ultimately makes of this opportunity. I do have to say that uh, if we're judging him, uh, and I'll let you speak on this further, but it certainly seems like he's took a real step in the right direction with his first hire, I'm not going to feign to be a, an absolute expert as to uh, as to who this guy is, but I, I think this was a, a great first move and something that the program's needed for quite a while. So the hire of Mike Metcalf, he was the, uh, the Southeast Area Supervisor uh, of Scouting for the San Francisco Giants. I don't know a whole lot about this guy, uh, but I, I did ask some people. Occasionally you meet some MLB scouts along the way doing my job, especially because you have some crossover players, right? And so they'll want to know, like, hey, you think this kid's going to sign and play football? Do you, you think he's a guy who wants to go play baseball? And you can ask them about, about that kind of thing, too. Um, and we, we just had a couple kids last year who, whom I covered, uh, one of whom signed with Ole Miss and the other with LSU, who ended up being pretty elite-level baseball prospects. And, uh, and ultimately, I, I think they're going to end up playing football. Um, but they all think this guy is really, really impressive. The people who cover FSU baseball on a daily basis think this is a really impressive hire. And the people who cover college baseball uh, on the national level are all applauded the hire on Twitter. And I didn't find anything negative about this. Uh, here's what, what Martin Jr. said uh, when he was hired, though, about wanting to make sure he had somebody with Major League Baseball scouting experience in his dugout as one of his coaches. Quote, I do. I want to find one. Yes, I think that's important. We need to broaden the net, and any and any time you can do that, widen, broaden, whatever you want to call it, it's important. And if I can find the right guy that knows how to coach and has the right personality and is respected in that community, I will try to get him because it's important. When they're out there watching guys and there's more sets of eyes to see, hey, this freshman down here in you know, wherever, Palm Beach, is really good, we want to be one of those first calls. And, and don't kid yourself, there is chatter between you know pro scouts and, and college coaches. They, they they have a pretty symbiotic relationship in some instances. And so it does seem like this is a good hire. Now, he still has another coaching hire he has to make, the pitching coach, and, and that may well end up being uh, Stetson's pitching coach who actually won a National Pitching Coach of the Year honors this year. But so far, it does seem like uh, Meat has done a decent job of distancing himself a little bit from his dad's philosophies and, and talking about which which ones he wants to implement. Like we said, the 
the coaches recruiting out there. He also is going to take the jersey numbers off, or excuse me, not the numbers, but the names off the jerseys. He's also going to uh, move Florida State from the first base to the third base dugout because he thinks it's better. And uh, most importantly here, they want to hunt fastballs more early in the count. That's, that's unique. And, and he was asked about that at his presser. And, Edgar, I thought you'd get a kick out of this because it was like, hey, weren't, weren't you the hitting coach? You know, like, I mean, that's kind of a thing to where you would think you'd have some control over that. He kind of said, look, assistant coaches make suggestions, but they don't, they don't make decisions. And maybe implying that, that the uh, taking pitches was, was more of his dad's uh, want to do. I, ultimately, whatever they were doing worked really well, to be honest. They were consistently an excellent offense every single year for a long time and still are. And I wouldn't change it too much, but if they want to hit fastballs early in the count, that's fine. Uh, but so far, seems that, you know, things seem to be going pretty well. We'll have to see how they do on a recruiting trail. Uh, but I, I, I think this this is looking pretty smart so far. Yeah, it's uh, it was just always the hire that was going to happen uh, with Florida State's financial situation and uh, kind of the way that the economics sport of baseball broken down over the past couple of years. It was became increasingly clear as to who your next head coach was going to be. Uh, so certainly wish the best for for Martin. As you mentioned, I think this is going to be something where it takes a season season and a half to really have any kind of idea. As to some of these changes, some of these things will be immediately uh, evident. Some of them will kind of take a little while to permeate their way through the program. But uh, Florida State baseball, for the first time in more than four decades, has a new head coach. And uh, it's something that we will uh, kind of follow from afar. And certainly wish Martin the best as he uh, as he takes over the position for his father. Absolutely. Uh, so something pretty positive is something kind of mixed, negative, positive, positive looking forward, maybe maybe. Negative looking back, uh, Matt Hayes of Bleacher Report, who I believe is a Gator, right, uh, wrote an article about uh, how Jimbo Fisher left the program in bad shape. And uh, look, I don't think much of this is really news to our listeners. Um, if you look at this, Sam Stark actually said, uh, all these trolls acting like uh, Tridentine, he's this guy on Twitter who's negative regardless, uh, was first to raise the concern about Jimbo when it was clearly Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith on the Nolcast. They literally said it after the 2013 season, and everybody called them negative. This is true. Uh, I always like when people recognize things that we said that were actually accurate, even though they were unpopular at the time. Uh, now, I'm not saying we had we got all this right, because we didn't. Uh, and I'm not saying that I agree with everything in this article, but off the top, to me, this seems like this is not really an article for FSU fans unless they're really casual FSU fans and is more of an article and Matt is a national writer. Uh, so th- his audience here would make sense to be national, but it is more of an article intended for consumption by a national audience that probably didn't understand what was going on inside of Florida State's program. Uh, anecdotally, I will. I think that this article did very good numbers because I was surprised by how many people – who don't otherwise reach out to me about Florida State football said, "Hey, I ran across this article and it was it was very illuminating to me." And uh, and it's exactly kind of the audience that you're talking about. It's not necessarily uh, Florida State fans, just people who kind of generally follow college football, and uh, it seemed to find a seemed to find a real large audience. What I do think 
maybe gave this audience uh, what gave this uh, article a little bit more credence to the the Florida State aspects of it. And the the only real new wrinkle was the fact that they got a, a assistant coach to go on not on the record, but to anonymously give some thoughts that um, maybe maybe gave the article slightly more credence uh, to those that were closer to the program. So. I agree with you. I think it uh, it had a it was kind of targeted for a national audience, had more of an impact uh, because of that because it wasn't written by a Florida State outlet and uh, uh, not necessarily a ton of new information, but certainly gave some some credence to conversation that's taken place here and other places for a long time. I think it definitely helped out Florida State a whole lot. I mean. If this article had been written on Seminoles.com, which is a, a PR outlet, really, I mean, it's not really media because they, it's it's like state-run media. It wouldn't be that out of place, I mean, with the exception of obviously you don't see articles like that on team websites because they they typically don't engage in that kind of thing. But like, if Florida State wanted to put out a PR campaign on behalf of Willie Taggart and uh, explaining the need for patience, it it would be hard to. Do it more than this, right? I, I, w- without actually sticking their their own logo on it, I mean, this was extremely negative on on Jimbo, deservedly so, I think, and we've been pointing that out for several years. But on the other hand, uh, like really positive on Willie, uh, almost like complete and total absolution of any mistakes that he's made along the way. Uh, this. Man, this, I'm not saying this was a plant, obviously. I, I think Matt typically does a good job. Um, but this was extremely glowing about Florida State on, on the whole. You know, you, you wonder, is, is that how you get access to do that as a national guy? Uh, certainly. I mean, you know, do, do you get quotes from the athletic director if you're going to – going to put a, a knife in somebody's back in an article, I'm, I'm not sure you do. So, yeah, there, were, there was probably some general understanding as to the you know tone and tenor of the article being written. Um, again, uh, it, you know, getting Coborn on there to go on record, uh, I, I have a guess as to maybe who that assistant coach would be, but uh, don't know for sure. But uh, that certainly, you know, gave people uh, maybe a little bit of a better idea or a little bit more. Uh, confidence in in what was being said, and it just, uh, yeah, man. I, it, it like you said, I, I don't know that I agreed with a hundred percent of it, but certainly provided a a look back over a landscape that was pretty familiar to uh, to the listeners of of this show and a series of discussion that we've had for a better part of half a decade now. So you think about this. One thing that really point that stuck out to me was Coburn's comment about how like it's laughable to even discuss job security. You know, Taggart has, has excellent job security. Um, he said, look, there, there were locker room and academic issues, uh, which is showing, you know, really to me that it's showing Taggart's bosses are, are publicly acknowledging the extent of the issues with which he took over. They're basically saying, hey, this place was kind of a disaster and we knew it was a disaster, right? And we're going to keep that in our minds as we evaluate Willie Taggart's job security and his job performance. If you're Willie, you love reading that quote because it's going to be it, – it really helps his case to be around in 2021 to have his his big bosses acknowledging what he actually took over. Now, 
I think one of the things that really comes through for me there is is that's that's kind of a statement from Coburn, man. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's hard not to look at it that way. And um, he isn't isn't around uh, per se, but Willie's had a nice little period over the last six months where he's gotten a, a public support from uh, Florida State's largest donor and, and Al Dunlap, and uh, and now has received a, a pretty public backing from the university president and the athletic director. Uh, Look, again, financially, there's just not too many records that see Willie Taggart not be in your head coach here anytime soon. Uh, I, I want to be honest as as possible about that. But still, it's uh, good to have support of those that evaluate your job performance. And I think you bring up a real good point that this was uh, this was kind of a, a self-acknowledgement as to exactly how dysfunctional a lot of the aspects of this program had become. Also, does this uh, – all the talk about the lack of discipline, how many times did we say, look – Jimbo is a yeller, like a yeller, but he does not follow through on the discipline, and the kids eventually realize it and they know it. Like every single episode for about eighteen months, maybe. <laughs> Seriously, like if you're a listener for more than than the last year, you've heard that a whole lot. Man, if if you just read these comments from the assistant coaches and, and administrators in that way, you're like, man, yeah, it, exactly, exactly. So. I wanted to just point that out. But also, I thought Willie's comments on on how bad it was were interesting to me because he's he didn't at all sell that message to the fans last offseason. In fact, he built up the expectations a lot last offseason. This is one of the things that I think was somewhat within his control. Uh, now, there are things that happened in the season that were not within his control. We've gone over those. Most importantly, the offensive line melting down as it did. Uh, But I know for a fact that people told him that he had some kids on the team who were bad kids. We've gone over several times how he made the, everybody told me there's a bunch of turds on this team. And that's not true. We don't have turds on this team comments that he made, uh, which are are not, uh, they, they were just not true. Now it's either he didn't realize it. So he misevaluated his team or he was just trying to play the hype game, get people excited, which ultimately backfired a little bit, although it is kind of your job as a head coach to get people hyped up some with the new regime. If you come in and you don't have any hype with the new regime, well, that's that's not a great start either. That's not going to be a good long-term thing. Uh, so here's Willie on on just how bad it was. Uh, bad, man. Just that uh, bitching and moaning and in, about anything because everything wasn't what it was before, Taggart said. Why we got to do this? Why we got to do that? There's none of that now, and we tried to put them in situations this spring where they could have easily said that we ran the shit out of them and nobody said anything. Well, okay, but we didn't hear about any of this stuff from Willie prior, right? Which means if that stuff does come back this year, we really can't trust Willie to come out and say it honestly until well after it happens, if it happens, right? Because last year he didn't, didn't really give us really anything as far as as far as that goes. You know, they acknowledge the, the some of the staff dysfunction that happens sometimes. Um, he also was asked, what will it take to, to kind of fix this culture in this locker room? And he said, graduation and recruiting, which is kind of code for time, right? Uh, Multiple right. cycles and of getting guys in and out. Yeah, it's it's also code for uh, I have I have exactly the type of kids that I said that I didn't have previously. Uh, it, it's basically code for there's not a whole lot that can be done with a lot of these guys. And the only thing I can do is is ultimately shed them, shed them from my roster. Well, you could cut them, but the problem is the APR score, 
right? Like you're you're you were when you took over, you were dangerously close to like bowl ineligibility, which ultimately <laughs> wouldn't have been a big deal uh, in 2018. But you know, like if you're that low in the APR, you really don't have the option to just outright cut these guys under you know, dubious uh, re- reasoning. But yeah, I, I think you're totally right. It, it, he's saying a lot there by by saying graduated graduation and recruiting. Next on my outline here is an absolution of Willie by the tone of the article. It, there's not a whole lot of criticism of him in there. I mean, if anything, maybe a little bit of criticism of, of the coaching hires he made in year one, which have since been changed. Um, but ultimately, this is more fair to me than not fair, right? From a national media perspective, we've seen very little of this. We've seen almost all pro Jimbo stuff and – FSU fans knew that Jimbo was was checked out and and running this plane into the side of the mountain. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. It, it, like I don't have a problem with this being pro Willie at all because I do think Willie's a good coach and I think he has a good track record overall. First year at Florida State, notwithstanding, and it's nice to have something like this kind of balance it out. All that other coverage, right? But the timing's a little bit weird to, to have it come come this late. Maybe that's a Bleacher Report issue. I've certainly worked on big projects before where, you know, some editor above my my main editor is just dragging their feet. Or, or in a, I mean, you saw they they got, you know, some of them got dismissed or, or uh, left. Uh, SBN anyway. Lo- long story, uh, but yeah, like the, the writers don't always have control over when things get published. So they certainly don't, and I, I think there's a. Look, it, it, was a, it was an interesting article to a vast majority of people, uh, and maybe gives a little bit of perspective to the the you know the kind of the sidewalk fan or the fan that doesn't spend two hours a day on a message board or listen to three Florida State podcasts a week or whatever it may be. Um, so, you know, I, I think that there's certainly some the turnover will help. I, I also think that there's some. Man, there's some kids on this roster that's just going to be a challenge uh, for as long as they're on the roster, and 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 that's really what his answer was uh, to that question. I mean, I don't. There's there's been times where there's like position groups have had meetings, and kids have all of a sudden been more concerned that this current staff's trying to recruit over them. There's just, they're just some 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 weak mentality. Uh, I would I would use that phrase for uh, a lot of the people that that occupy positions on this roster and. That's going to be a, that's going to be a challenge to turn some of that over. I, I completely agree with you. Let me ask you a question: Does this article change your opinion about the 2019 upcoming season in any way, or about FSU's position with Willie in the long term in any way? It doesn't. It doesn't really change it. I mean, I, I am critical of Willie and what he did not do as far as a numbers. Uh, addressing the offensive line, but I'm still not willing to totally put that albatross around his neck. Uh, this this will be the last year that I ever think that. Um, but I, I look at the numbers inherited and the situation inherited, and I don't reasonably think that you can change that in one year. Uh, and, and I can stay pretty confidently that they haven't changed that in one year. It might be slightly better this year, uh, but there's, there's such deep holes at parts of this roster that uh, I'm I'm still going to have a hard time, um, you know, really judging him on on this year as far as the performance. Now, if we see the same regression and we don't see progression throughout the year, then that'll be that'll be very different. But I was kind of already of the mentality 
of uh, not necessarily giving him a pass, but not being able to make an, an ultimate decision based off 2019. And uh, that article didn't necessarily push or pull me away from that idea. I think I'm right there with you, honestly. Um, for the long term, having an article like this does sort of set a precedent that Florida State is now acknowledging that the the obstacles Willie has to overcome. Uh, and thus, I I think it makes it very unlikely that he only sees three years as a coach. Uh, Recruiting-wise, Ingram, you know what's going on in recruiting right now? Mm, is it a... Is it a dead period, sir? It's a dead period. Yeah, June 24th to July 24th. And it's a summer dead period at that. The, the deadest of the dead periods, I might right. argue. So we have uh, we have some kids decommitting. We have some kids committing. Not to Florida State, uh, but maybe they'll come. Uh, maybe, maybe soon, maybe in a week or two. Um, a lot of phone calls going on, some relationship building via sliding in the DMs. But no, no in-person contact right now, so... Uh, visits for this part of the summer are over. They will pick back up later in the summer. Florida State will have their their big camp uh, right, basically right after the dead period ends. I, I believe that's July twenty seventh. I think. Anyway, uh, should be a really really well attended camp, much like they had last year. Um, a couple little things to touch on. We may have mentioned this last show. Uh, Brian Robinson, who is a receiver at a Palm Beach Central, also a teammate from uh, of Greg Dent back when they were in high school together. or uh, Excuse me, Akeem Dent, not Greg Dent. Lord. Uh, a teammate of Akeem Dent back when they were in high school together at Palm Beach Central. Uh, really nice receiver. He was very tight with Ron Dugans when Dugans was the receiver's coach at Miami. Uh, well, he now decommitted, and Dugans is the receiver's coach at Florida State. And uh, follow, the, uh, follow the, the breadcrumb trail there. I would expect him probably to end up at Florida State. We will see how long that will take. I'm not saying it's going to happen immediately, but we know he has a really good relationship with Dugans, so that's big. Uh, and then one other thing to note here is that uh, Tom Loy. Uh, Tom Loy works for uh, Notre Dame 247 site, a uh, friend of mine and somebody who I've encountered on the recruiting trail you know, numerous times. We, we like to shoot together a lot as far as shooting video. I like to shoot some next to somebody who's, who's informed. If we have conversation, that's great, but they're not annoying and Kind of like anybody, a coworker you'd want to work next to or not work next to, right? But Tom's a good guy. He's very plugged in on Notre Dame, and and he dropped a uh, a pick for uh, Michael Redding, the receiver at IMG, uh, to Florida State, and uh, I think that's a good sign because if the kid was going to Notre Dame, he would probably be picking Notre Dame since he covers that program. So Florida State appears to be doing a nice job there at receiver, but they are in the dead period right now. There's just not that much going on kids can still commit just no no visits no visits happening right now we'll uh, take this time to thank our friends at madison social uh, for the table restaurant group has been a fantastic supporter of us our since day one uh obviously we've talked a lot about the tailgate in jacksonville that we'll be doing uh want to remind everybody that they can go to fsu jacks tailgate.com Two different offers there, a $20 uh, offer and a $25 offer. Um, so go ahead, give that a look. We'd love to see any of our listeners there uh, have a chance to interact. And, and we will have some form of uh, kind of a live podcast or uh, somewhat of a question and answer uh, format. So something that we're very much looking forward to. Uh, again, I would direct people to fsujackstailgate.com. And uh, we look forward to seeing you there. I will also point out that uh, 
But are you aware as to where the the phrase "for the table" comes from, and how they uh, how they gave themselves the the name? I'm not. No. Okay. So that is actually a uh, just an expression. Like if you're going out and you're going to order a order a calamari for the table or something like that. Basically, it's a it's an excuse for uh, for husky individuals to maybe maybe order something that they would have liked to have otherwise ordered for themselves and kind of claim. Uh, Claim that they were looking out for the betterment of the uh, betterment of the community, and uh, as a strange little piece of trivia, it's also the last thing that uh, that Tony Soprano man- mentions in the uh, Sopranos is that he ordered a set of onion rings for the table. So oh, I'll just throw nice. that out there as well. I like that. Madso Township Central, great restaurants. Go hit them up. Thank thank you for supporting us. Support our sponsors. You want another little piece of trivia, real quick, dude? Check this out. All right. This is from NBC. Chemical found in spinach has the same effect as steroids and should be banned for athletes, scientists say. Well, so Popeye. Was, yeah, uh... right. That's what I thought. I was like, wow. So maybe the, the creators of Popeye back in, I don't know, when was he created? Probably like the 40s or the 30s? Yeah. Uh, maybe they knew something. Huh. Now, right. you would have to eat 10 pounds of spinach, apparently, per day to, to get this effect uh, of steroids. So... Dog, you tell it. You tell you know as well as I do. You tell a sixteen-year-old boy there's something on the other end of the rainbow. They'll they'll start eating spinach, uh, whatever's necessary. Ten pounds of spinach is like I, how many shopping bags is that? Because it, it I, no, the, well, like the a, stuff cooks down to nothing too. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how much you'd really have to eat there. That'd be tough. Yeah, that would be that'd be difficult. Uh, the moral of the story is take regular steroids. Just like like that, that's probably easier to do. <laughs> well, for the for the undersized linebackers out there, uh, there's always hope. Good luck. <laughs> Grab the spinach. Uh, you want to jump into jump into some you, you of these read my questions? Mind. Let's do. Let's do. All right, bud. First question comes from Ed. This will probably be a question more directed to you. What positions is Florida State recruiting the best and worst currently? Oh, man. Okay. Well, uh, we, we kind of touched on the best part a little bit earlier, but I, I think they're doing a really good job at receiver. Uh, obviously, they, they already have Malachi Weidman in the fold. They are also uh, in good position with Michael Redding and with um, Brian Robinson. However, uh, they're also doing really well at defensive back. I mean, they have some of the best deep DBs in the nation, um, bringing in a really good class on, on, on the heels of a, a very nice class last year. On the flip side of this, uh, where are they not doing so well? Well, let's get a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage. Kind of on both sides. I'll, I'll give the hat tip to the offensive tackle position right now, simply because they don't have any commitments at offensive tackle. Now, they could easily land Thomas Schrader in the next couple weeks. Uh, I think he could be a good player for them down the line. Not an instant impact guy, but uh, Florida State has not been very good in the last couple of years. They don't really have a whole lot of, of positive momentum right now. With some of those kids, and in addition, um, there've been hardly any good offensive linemen coming through Florida State in quite a while. So it's not like these kids have had a whole lot of good role models uh, to follow on the offensive line at Florida State during their formative years. But I, I would say offensive tackle is probably the the one at which they're doing the worst. Although defensive end is, is also a little bit of a concern. They need to land an impact defensive end. That is a position in, in which they've done well previously, and they should not be struggling like they are there. So. You kind of got to wonder what's going on there. Maybe we'll see some more guys emerge. That is a spot where we do see players emerge, oftentimes late. You can find pass rushers late in the year for whatever reason. I'm not 
that's something I could look into potentially for an article uh, down the line. But um, yeah, best right now, even though they only have one committed receiver, I'll say receiver and DB is pretty obvious. Linebacker are doing a great job too. Uh, offensive tackle, they need to do a little bit better work there. D tackle, I'm fine with. DN, again, they, they need to do better work. Next question comes from <clears throat> Marcus. What do you guys think of DeAndre Francois at Alabama State? I mean, about what I think of Malik Henry at Nevada. Yeah, I really don't care at all. Uh, did he not get admitted into FAU? Yeah, I'm not sure what happened there. Uh, I, I was curious as to exactly the uh, the series of events that led him to uh, – to ASU there, but who knows? I, I mean, I wish the kid the best with kind of a. I don't have anything against DeAndre, but not exactly. Of, of all the guys who have come here and haven't found success, I, I don't know that he would be the the first one I'm cheering for. So, all right. So Tyler asks. I'm sorry if someone has already asked this. I feel like it's hypothetical. You guys could have covered already. We might have. Uh, I just read the Bleacher Report article titled The Mess Jimbo Left, and it proposes that Jameis might have been the straw that broke the camel's back, truly revealing how far Jimbo will bend for a star in the negative culture created by players witnessing uh, what they can get away with. The article also cites a former assistant saying, uh, won it all in 2013, then the worst thing that could have happened is going to the playoff the next year. So hypothetical uh, is what if Jameis didn't come to FSU? Would Jimbo still be coaching here since FSU might not have won in 2013? Would the transition uh, into the playoff era have gone smoother? And was it always inevitable that it was all going to collapse? Thank you and keep up the awesome work. So we have a lot of questions here, Tyler. Tyler, really appreciate you being a loyal loyal listener for us. Tyler, that is a great question. And uh, you you may enjoy a, a series that Bud and I have talked about over the past couple of weeks uh, that we may actually, we may use your, your hypothetical there. Uh, we're going to take kind of uh we've yet to come up with a perfect name for this but we're gonna we're gonna come up with moments of significance in florida state's program history and just look at uh what it meant how it might have played out differently um and kind of maybe have a 10 to 15 minute conversation about some of the more uh significant moments in time and this is a a really good one that i'll stash away and and add to the list here because it's uh it's fascinating to me it's a it's a great r- recruiting win. It's uh, kind of the period of time. This was kind of the, uh, I don't know if the cherry on top of, of Florida State's reemergence as a, as a national recruiting power, but it certainly came uh, at the expense of some others. Eh, a little bit of, little bit of pretty, not even dirty recruiting, some filthy recruiting involved in this one, uh, in my opinion. But uh, and I don't necessarily mean like money given or anything else like that, but um it's just a real interesting moment, and I don't know that Jameis was necessarily the straw that broke the camel's back. It certainly hurt, but man, Jimbo would burn, would would bend over backwards. Jimbo was just real stubborn about any kids, uh, and he was real—I don't even know if protective was the right word—just real. God, I mean, think about Reed. Yeah, my kids, you're not going to punish them. But even kids that weren't as talented as Winston and Reed, uh, Jimbo Fisher went to great links to uh to kind of make sure that he was the the only you know chief and in, in charge there so it's a it's a great hypothetical and it's something that i'll write down and we'll circle back to it with a little bit a little bit more of a broader conversation surrounding it so i, I think that 
okay. Yeah, I, I don't want to fully answer the question. I, this does bring up a point I wanted to kind of make in the intro, which was I, I think too much of the article was focused on one guy in, in Jameis specifically, right? And, and you and I both know that's probably – I don't want to say – it's haze. That it's probably, but it's very, it's very likely the work of an editor trying to frame a a singular moment with which to kind of bounce this this whole article off of. And Jameis is the best known quantity that went through Florida State during that time. And Jameis did a lot of dumb, <laughs> and you know, there's a lot of stuff that you could point back at, and and uh, whether it be the Clemson game or whatever else, it's I, I I'm a little hesitant to label Jameis as the straw that broke the camel's back here. Yeah, and I'm kind of surprised that, that one of the assistants said that specifically. Um, although it does probably give an indication that that he didn't coach that position, right? Uh, so, look, Jameis was not the reason they ended up with a nine twenty three APR. That takes a lot of guys being entitled. I don't have any problem with double standards for super elite players. In fact, that's just how the world works. Okay, and if you work at a company that has quote unquote unlimited PTO. Go ahead and test that 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 limited PTO policy out. All right. If you're an earner, if you bank for these guys, they're probably going to be okay with it. If you're some person who's kind of borderline, they're not going to be cool with you working three day weeks because you because you feel like 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 you need that big mental break and doing it for a couple quarters in a row. You got to know where you stand. Look, I don't have any problem with the double standard, like I just said. the The issue is. Like if the double standard is applied to every single guy on the team, right? Then there's no double standard. It's just the standard, and the standard was not disciplining these guys, just yelling at them, but not actually following through on the discipline. Um, I agree. We'll table that question. Hostway asks, and by the way, he did email us to confirm it. It is Hostway, so we got that right. I thought the article was great. And we also, by the way, we nailed the uh, the pronunciation last week of Zan. He emailed us as well and, and told us that, uh, that Zan is how you pronounce that. So we're just on a pronunciation roll here. Until I try to say facsimile, then it all falls apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buddy. I thought the article was great, and I'm glad Willie Taggart received some positive press. However, one aspect of the article that I can't get over is the lack of a Stan Wilcox mention. While Jimbo went on to make $75 million at Texas A&M, Stan Wilcox took over Oliver Luck's position at the NCAA as Executive Vice President of Regulatory Affairs. Do you think Stan Wilcox was intentionally omitted from this article? How much, if any, responsibility do you place on Wilcox as the AD? Well, um, intentionally omitted. I think, like, yes. But I, I want to use, I want to make sure we're using the word intent correctly, and, and you can disagree with me if you want to on this. My guess is they didn't have anything specific that would make Wilcox look bad or even interesting in this, and so their intent is to write a good story that people will want to read and share. And devoting a page or you know, a couple of paragraphs to Wilcox w- without a whole lot of specific information that would paint the job he did in a positive or negative. Uh, or just not caring light uh, would not make a whole lot of sense if you didn't have anything good. So my, my guess is like they didn't they didn't set out to like to let Stan Wilcox off the hook. They probably just didn't get anything worthwhile, and thus he doesn't appear in the article. 
Uh, yeah, I, I think that's I'll more or less sign off with that. And again, remember who the audience is written for. Uh, there's only so many characters you can introduce into an article like that. You've already got the active athletic director going on record, so uh, you know maybe maybe you lose that if you're also trashing the previous athletic director uh, just because Coburn wouldn't necessarily want to put his his name in an article like that. Um, I think. Stan Wilcox, I can't remember if I said this on the podcast or if I said this on a private conversation between the two of you guys or between the two of us, bud. But I, I think that it was well known that Jimbo and uh, Andy Miller didn't get along uh, very well. I think what maybe wasn't as well known is that Jimbo and Wilcox didn't get along particularly well. And, and Wilcox and Andy Miller didn't get along very well at all. Uh, so you had you had three pieces there in play. Uh, none of them particularly liked each other. None of them at times acted in a manner that's reflective of just a general professional level of respect. Uh, it was a it was a, a real tough time. And Stan is probably the least important of those three figures uh, at this point in time. So it doesn't shock me that he was necessarily not a part of the article. And I think if you were going to be particularly critical of him, that uh, maybe you wouldn't have had Coburn's involvement. Maybe you would have. I think I agree with you there. Um, how much of any responsibility do you place on Wilcox as the AD? More than the article placed on him. Oh, much more. Uh, I mean, look, he lost control of spending. I mean, Jimbo. Yeah. Jimbo was was the driving force, but Stan Stan lost control of the checkbook a hundred percent, and they're they're having to to have some real uncomfortable conversations with people because of that right now. All right. Uh, Sumner asks, will teams intentionally tank their season for Trevor Lawrence? Uh, if so, will it be obvious? The kid is generational and easily better than Jameis, who went number one overall. Let's, uh, potentially, sure, but let's give him a couple of years. Uh, alter- alternatively, if you did not have the first overall pick of that draft, what would a reasonable trade in the form of personnel or future draft picks look like to get the first pick uh, in Trevor Lawrence. My instinct is that teams will intentionally tank to a degree that we haven't seen before or some egregious, unconscionable blockbuster trade. It'd be fun to think about what that may look like. Well, how about the Herschel Walker trade? You want to do a little history lesson for the kids who don't remember this? Do that one, and I'm going to pull up another trade that's somewhat similar. Okay. Do you remember the Herschel Walker trade, obviously. I do. Absolutely. The whole, whole damn NFL franchise was basically built around it. It was. Okay. From Wikipedia here, uh, the Herschel Walker trade uh, was the largest player trade in the history of the National Football League. This deal on October 12, 1989, centered on sending running back Herschel Walker from the Dallas Cowboys to the Minnesota Vikings, including Walker, and a transaction involving the San Diego Chargers. The trade eventually involved players and draft picks. At the time of the deal, the Cowboys were one of the worst teams in the league. The team finished the 89 season with with the worst postseason merger record at 1-15, trading away their best player, while the Vikings believed that Walker was the missing piece they needed to make the Super Bowl. Uh, thus, Minnesota originally felt that they got the better end of the deal. Instead, the Cowboys used the draft picks to acquire in, in this trade to get the players they needed to help win three Super Bowls in the 1990s. Meanwhile, the Vikings did not make a Super Bowl appearance uh, with Walker. So, uh, the trade is... They got a first, second, and a sixth in 90, a first and a second in 91, a first and a second in 92, and a third in 92 as well. They also got uh, linebacker Jesse Solomon, uh, David Howard, Isaac Holt, and Alex Stewart. And uh, 
Dallas traded away Herschel Walker, its third rounder in 90, uh, the fifth rounder, from, which it had from San Diego in 90, Dallas's 10th round pick. There used to be 10 rounds in the draft kids uh, back in 90, and Dallas's third round pick in 91. Uh, yeah, they, they turned this into like a ton of, of good players, including uh, Emmett Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, when one of the defensive linemen uh, product Russell, of Ma- that. Russell Maryland. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Alonzo Highsmith out of Miami. Uh, Kevin Smith, Darren Woodson, um, Clayton Holmes, and then they traded another one for, uh, good God, they traded a third rounder in 92 to get a first and a second in the next year. Man, <laughs> NFL teams used to not properly value no, draft no, picks No, they did not. Good that's, God. That's crazy. Are you going to go with, with the Ricky Williams trade? I'm going to go with the what I think is the closest comparable here, and that is a trade up to number one with the clear intent of drafting a quarterback, perhaps a transgenerational quarterback. And that is what the Falcons did <clears throat> in 2001. They traded up to get Mike Fick. The Falcons at the time had the fifth overall pick. Uh, so San Diego, they, they switched the first and the fifth. Uh, the Falcons also sent uh, Tim Dwight, who was a pretty skilled kick returner uh, in his day, one of the faster one of the faster white guys I've ever seen on a football field. Uh, also gave away their first and third round choices to San Diego that year, and I think San Diego got a uh, yeah a second rounder the next year. So uh, pretty pretty decent haul, not nearly the uh, what the Cowboys were able to get out of it. San Diego, to their credit. Uh, turned some of those draft picks into LaDainian Tomlinson and Drew Brees. So, um, interesting look, but that, to me, is maybe one of the more closer historical examples because you're looking at a team trading with the clear intent of, of taking a, uh, a different type of talent with a number one overall pick at quarterback. I like that one. That's The Ricky Williams trade was just stupid. I mean, that, that was just a guy... Again, almost similar to the Cowboys one where you, you almost question as to if people were aware as to what type of value they were trading away, just giving away, even at that point. Do you know that um, Ricky Williams was actually repped by Master P? Yes, I did know that. Yeah. Uh, Master P, not the best NFL agent <laughs> in the world. Shockingly, right? <laughs> um, the contract was quote-unquote incentive-heavy. He earned $3.8 million in his rookie season. He would earn the minimum base salary in all of the years. Dog, what? I mean, yeah. Uh, Indianapolis, Edger and James took home $14.8 million guaranteed. Ultimately, lack of experience in the field of NFL agentry was the undoing of uh, No Limit Sports, which was actually the name of Master P's agency. It's awesome. Yeah, I remember it. Oh, also, the media was like WTF, and that caused uh, PR issues for Masterpiece NFL agent uh, business. But, hey, Jay-Z's an agent now, right? So He is, yeah. Yeah, I think they're having a little bit more success. Yeah, they're probably not going with just – like, if you, run, if you set the NFL record for rushing yards, you get a couple million. Okay, awesome. <laughs> that's uh, – Yeah, yeah, that's a great representation, certainly. Uh, Ryan asks, can you go into some of the nuances of offensive line development? 
Here's the crux of my request. If our offensive line was so bad last year, and I believe it was every bit as bad as you two suggest, why is it so difficult for freshman offensive linemen to earn playing time? It seems our 2019 class had three capable offensive linemen. Uh, Lucas being very good to elite, and he seems to be the only one projected to get significant playing time. Is physical maturity the only thing holding the other guys back? Capable seems better uh, than awful in its simplest form of the argument. While I've I've always understood how important winning the line of scrimmage is, I readily concede that I've never been more invested in understanding it as the last 12 months, and I imagine most fans feel the same way. Okay, so uh, no, f- physical maturity is not the only thing, but it is a big thing for sure. Um, comfort in the scheme and comfort playing offensive line is something that, that does typically come with reps. Also with physical maturity, it, it pairs together, and, and here's how. That's a lot of body you have to move around, okay? Having the physical maturity and sort of the mental capacity to understand when that body needs to move, but also importantly, when it does not need to move so that you can maintain your balance is really a pretty big deal um, and, and something that, that I think people underrate. By that, I mean not getting out over your skates, right? Understanding when you need to go out and get somebody, when you need to ha- let that person come to you. Offensive line, you wouldn't think so. It's just you know, a bunch of plodding big guys, but there's a good amount of footwork involved in this. So some some of your trap steps and your pull steps, not so much your down steps really, as long as, long as you're taking the right angle. But there, there's a lot to this position that that goes unnoticed, and it, that's why it is one of the toughest positions to play as a young player. Um, and, and so for those reasons, is why I wouldn't really expect those guys to make a, a big time impact in year one, other than maybe Lucas. I think that's fair. Uh, you want to move to Tom's question. No, I want to actually go to buy or sell. Uh, we'll, we'll save those. We'll save those last two for for next week. All right, Bud. Well, before we move to buy or sell, uh, I believe that we received a, a pretty nice message uh, recently about our friends at Resolution and uh, a little bit of a little bit of a non traditional endorsement. Okay, so Samir uh, DM'd us and he said, "Hey guys, just some quick feedback with Resolution Home Loans. I want to let you know that I used to work in the industry about ten years ago." And Shannon is the first loan officer I've come across in a while that was extremely professional and, more importantly, fast. He got back to me in one day with numbers and approximate closing costs, etc. I also called three other lenders, and they did not do any of this. We ultimately decided not to go through with the mortgage transaction in general because the math doesn't make sense for us right now. Either way, thought you guys should know Shannon is legit. If our, cha- if our situation changes, I'll definitely give him a call again. Cheers. So I thought that was really nice, right? Like we, we talk about all, all the NOLCAS listeners who have gotten loans through Resolution Home Loans, and it's, what, 22, 23 now, I think? It, it's it's over 20 uh, in, in less than a year. We've had great response, including me. I mean, I'm a NOLCAS listener just because I, I want to listen to what I said the night before to make sure I didn't say anything crazy or uh, you know see how, how I can get better. Look, it, it's nice to understand that like people who are in the industry also respect these guys a lot, and you can see that. With their online reviews, you can see that with, with the testimonials. But 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com, get, get hooked up with Shannon. Um, he, he treats people right, and he treats people right fast. So go do it. Buy or sell? Buy or sell. Buy or sell. Scott asks, would you trade the 2013 Natty to keep the bull streak alive? Uh, sell. 
hard sell. Yeah, so double double sell on this one. Uh, very quickly. Yeah, no, a bowl streak is nice. Give me national championship flags. All day uh, how, many, how many uh, times has Bama not made a bowl? I, I couldn't even begin to tell you. But but you can tell me that they've won like twenty eight national titles or something crazy, right? <laughs> like I could tell you that like fifteen years ago that shirt that they used to have what was it was like twelve or thirteen or something like that. And now it's uh yeah. Now now they've added a whole lot of whole lot of numbers to that. And uh you know you know what program does have a pretty lengthy bowl streak right now, uh Georgia Tech. Or or they did, uh until I think a year ago. I mean, it's just not. In, it's indicative of of winning enough games to be slightly above mediocre. It's it's not necessarily uh, something that I would I would ever even consider trading for a national championship. So, uh, not belittling your question there, Scott, and you do provide some context to it that I probably should have have added. Uh, putting a parameter in place for the discussion in lieu of the thirteen title, uh, the team would average nine wins a season from thirteen to eighteen which certainly is different than what we've experienced. Uh, but nonetheless, you could have told me that we won one game last year. I'm not trading 2013 for anything. Uh, so appreciate it, but uh, going to sell that one. All right. Uh, Kyle, Browse will be hired away for next season. The FSU will start 2020 with its fourth OC in as many years. Um, I'll sell it in general, but if if this ends up happening, in all likelihood, it's probably a good thing. Um, Probably a positive development. And uh, look, normally in coaching, when you take a job, there's kind of an unspoken rule that you commit to it for two years. There's also kind of an unspoken rule that you really have got to do something horrible to get fired in year one, uh, which is interesting when you think about what took place this year uh but no i I would expect browse to be at florida state um next year and and again if he's not that's probably a probably a sign as far as what transpired on the field as a as a positive yeah i'm I'm gonna sell as well I, i think there is an element here look there's not another another place where he's gonna get a better coordinator job realistically than florida state at least not not one that's gonna hire him so the next step up would be a head coach job. And it is a lot harder to hire somebody with the last name of Riles as a head coach than it is as a coordinator, just because that's the true face of your program, right? Being a coordinator, not so much. So for that reason, I'll sell. I, I think Florida State will have him for uh, for two years at least. Similar inquiry here from uh, – well, actually, we'll go to Matt's first. Uh, buy or sell six starts at tackle between Chaz Neal, Darius Washington – Jalen Goss and Christian Armstrong. Six starts. Okay, so that is basically 25% of the games uh, they'll have a start in because of the um, – remember, there's two starts per game, right? So there's two 24 tackles, tackles that have starts to, be to go occupied. around. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so Chaz Neal, Darius Washington. I'm going to buy this. Like – Offensive line is a contact position. I, I I think they're gonna have to do this probably. Yeah, that's troublesome. That's troublesome. Uh, I would like to sell it, and I think I am gonna sell it. And I might be being naive and homeristic and optimistic here, but uh, I'll sell and and hope that I'm 
I'm in the right when we look back at this. No. Uh, not as though the other names that would be starting above these are are all that better an option, but uh, Chaz Neal, a couple of these names scare the hell out of me. So, uh, circle back to Wade, similar to Kyle's. Uh, chances Browse and Clement stay for longer than two years. I don't remember the contract and buyout details, but a fear of mine is that either of them would end up leaving after a season. Okay, well, this is tougher because I, I think two years might be the magic number. You got you got a strong feeling on this? Uh, two, I mean, two years is all you can hope for and really expect out of an assistant. And I think uh, I would be surprised if either of those guys is on is on staff for two years. I think it's I think this is a two year gig, and that they moved together, and that they. Um, either move as, as one of them becoming a head coach and the other becoming an OC, or they move to, uh, uh, you know, one other program that they think is kind of their final stepping stone. I'm okay with that. All right, uh, let's end on this one. This is actually not on the sheet. I just pulled this from the Twitter account. This is from uh, Billy Homan, he said, or excuse me, uh, from Luke Sears. Uh, buy or sell, Jaden Lars would be leads the team in tackles at the year's end. I'm going to sell. I actually think if he's healthy, I think Hamza Nazaldean is your leading tackler. Oh, okay. So I, I think that you have a good point there because it's somebody who's going to stay on the field all the time. And I don't think Jaden's going to come off the field much, right? We don't know how much Dontavious is going to stay on the field because he, he's, he's certainly going to be on the field in their base package, but we don't really yet know who they're going to use in more of their nickel and dime stuff, right? Ooh, now that he's playing safety only. I'm going to go ahead and buy this, actually, and not not real confidently. I, I'm probably being stupid on this one, and I think you're probably right. But I'm going to go ahead and buy it. It's the end of the show, so let's let's go ahead and give me a buy. He's on the field a whole lot, and uh, in this defense, we do ask safeties to make a lot of tackles. Yeah, yeah, he's on the field a whole lot, and I saw where some uh... – Analytic had him as one of the five fewest um, missed tackles uh, in this, I think, uh, nationally last year or something like that. So he's a guy that when he gets an opportunity more times than not makes the tackle. Uh, it's a great question. It's a great question. It's hard to say exactly who would uh, end up having that title. But I do think that uh, if Hamza can put it together, he's got a chance to have a pretty pretty productive year. So that's who I'll go with. All right. Um that's kind of been it for this episode, I think. We have uh, iTunes. We should have more five-star reviews on iTunes. We finally got to 3,000, which is just incredible. We love you all for that. It's very impressive. And uh, if you like the show, I mean, obviously, we really appreciate you supporting us over the very uh, very long and, and dry, desolate uh, summer desert that we are currently in. But uh, things do get better. And I think you know, the show's been pretty good lately. So appreciate you all sticking with us and uh, looking forward to talking to you again next week.